Josh Johnson, what's up, bro? Welcome. How you doing? Man, I'm good, dude. How are you? I'm great. Good I'm holidays. Great. Good end of the year. Ooh. Good year. Yeah. Uh, end is a little hairy, but yeah. all good, man. All good. How about you? How you doing? We're good, bro. I, uh, it's been crazy. It's been a crazy year. Um, we're here now in this new studio, so that's exciting. We did that. You know, that was something we added to the, you know, new layout this year, so that's fun. And then, um, man, just the whole grind. That's about it. Yeah. Looks yeah. good. Yeah, thanks. Um, so... Let's talk about you, man. So you guys, um, you um, manage a um, hardware store, essentially, mm -hmm. um, a local. Yeah. It's, it's seeming like it's going to be a local franchise before too long. But it's it's going. It's growing. Yeah. Yeah. And then also you you have uh, experience being a musician most of your life. So let's talk about all that, man. Let's get into it. Yeah. How'd you, it. how'd you get into music? All right. So um, I grew up in Mansfield. Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. And when we, when our family, when I was in high school, first got started in high school, our family moved to Grand Cane. You familiar with Grand Cane? Yeah, I know where it's at. It's, okay. it's just a little north of Mansfield, but there's nothing there. Nope. Yeah. So uh, we didn't have TV. We didn't have cable. We didn't have anything. What? It's like, it's what like, year was this? This was, uh, I don't know, man, maybe 95 or 96. Didn't have TV. <laughs> well, we didn't have, you know, like, you so, yeah, 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 I got you. Yeah, we moved out to some land, and, and you know, we were like kids that grew up in a subdivision that would ah. ride bikes with their neighbors and all that, play, play ball with the neighbors. So we just moved out to the middle of nowhere, and we had, uh, we had nothing to do. Uh, we were out on land, and we're not, you know, like out there with the cows or anything. So yeah. uh, my dad always had a guitar laying around, and uh, he's, a pretty, he's a decent player. He's okay. Uh, <laughs> But he always had a guitar laying around, and so we had nothing to do. And I always liked liked music, and uh, so we just I just started playing. I started playing guitar. Uh, my cousin Nacho, important to this story, uh, had been playing guitar, and he was he was pretty good at it. So uh, my brother at the time was probably oh he would have been ten, okay, something like that. So uh, we bought a drum kit and just said, look. You got to learn how to play this. <laughs> so uh, that was it, man. And it really just came down to we were these kids who lived out in the middle of nowhere. We had nothing else to do, and uh, we loved music. So we we got instruments and started teaching ourselves how to play it. Um, you know, and and that's really all it was. You know, it was on the weekends rather than go you know hang out at Sonic or wherever. All the other kids were hanging out. I don't know if you've done any of that. Yes, that's the country yeah. stuff, man. That's right. That's, that's right. Okay. That's it. That's it. So we would go out to uh, Shiloh, Kichai. I know where that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we had a little metal, a little metal building, you know, like a little Jimco building or something. And so we would, uh, we'd go out there every weekend, every weekend, and we would play. Uh, you know, all we knew how to play would be like Green Day songs or like we could play a couple of Rage songs. Okay. Um, you know, Everclear, like everybody was, was, would play like the same kind of songs, yeah. you know, like that Better Nezra good song that was so easy to play. So the easiest songs, we would just go out there and start playing those. Uh, and it was so much fun, man. I mean, we loved, we loved doing it. And uh, eventually over time, we decided, it's like, hey, you know, let's start writing our own songs. And, um, you know, Jordan's still very, very, very young. What year is this? Uh, you know, this was just throughout that time okay. so i'd gone off to college okay um, and i think for the beginning of the band uh tyler reed which by the way is if you talk about nacho myself and jordan my brother tyler reed is our 
is our other cousin. Okay. He's a little bit younger than Jordan, and uh, he never played anything. He plays now, but uh, we just liked him. We thought he was a cool kid, and yeah. so uh, so we named it in his honor. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't in the band, but yeah. we were just like we we're just going to call it uh, Tyler Reed. Uh, so, anyways, after I I'd gone to college um, in Mississippi, and I came I came back um, getting married. This was two thousand and two, so we're going to get married. Um, was working at the store, you know, working at the family business. Yeah. And um, my wife and I decided that once we got married, we were going to go live in Nashville, and I was going to go because I already had a business degree, but I wanted to do something in music. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was more production based, you know, like uh, working with bands, trying to right. you know help them. Um, so we had made plans to go to move to Nashville as soon as we got married. Like we had a place set up to live. We were going to actually bring my little brother, who's a who's a high school senior. We were going to let him live with us in Nashville. Um, and possibly, you know, go to, go to, he was going to do the same thing I was going to do, except he, he wanted to be like a studio musician. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, it's kind of crazy, but that's what we wanted to do. And so when I came home and I lived back here for a year and I worked at, uh, I told you at the store, but I also worked at Dominic's Italian restaurant. Nice. Shout, <laughs> shout out to Dominic. Uh, an amazing time. Um, so we were getting geared up to do that. And my brother had another band here in town called Agent Yellow. It was a local kind of Christian band. And, uh, you know, they had a, had a nice little following, and they had gone to a studio here in town run by a guy named Rob Brazell. You ever heard of Rob Brazell? Yeah. Okay. So Rob Brazell had this studio here in town, and uh, Agent Yellow went and recorded some songs with him. And I was like, you know, that's, that's cool. That sounds really good. I like that. Um, and I was a songwriter, so I was really always interested in writing songs. And so I was like, you know what, before, before we go, I just want to go and record some of these songs that I'm writing. We're not really, we don't really have a band per se, but I, I want to um, record these songs that I'm writing because I'd love to hear it that way, you know. Um, and maybe I'd learn something about production from Rob, you know. So we go in to record these songs with Rob. Um, it goes really well. You know, we're having a great time. Um, we get the copies back, and uh, again, we're we're kind of queued up to move to Nashville. It's like right around the horizon. It's coming up, and um, I don't know how, I don't know why, but the the songs that we recorded, they got put up on this um, like a tastemaker website. Okay. So it was called uh, Kings of A and R. So I don't know. It's it's kind of an it was an industry thing back then. It was kind of like if if you were posted on this website, people took notice. They really got interested. Okay. So this is about two thousand and two, two thousand and three. You don't know who put that up. No clue. Still don't. I don't know how they, how would they have found it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how? Because this they, was like this is what you said. O two. Yeah. So O two. Yeah. Like you're not. It's not like you're. There's not a lot of streaming options online <laughs> or anything. No. You know, it's like an no. audio file that gets up there somehow, but you're not able to distribute it much. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and again, I, I don't even know how this person would have gotten it. We we weren't really playing much. We just wanted to go and record these songs. So it got up on this uh, got up on this website, and uh, I'll never forget. I had a friend who was kind of like a they call a fanager. You know, he's kind of like yeah, you know what I mean, buddy that believed in you, right. wasn't really paying him, couldn't pay him. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> now he worked at the local community bank yeah. in Mansfield. Okay, and he was he was sort of our fanager, and I'll never forget. Uh, he calls me and he goes, he's like, 
uh, Playboy, you're not going to believe this. He's like, I got four calls from major labels today. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to tell them? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. <laughs> he said, I got four major labels calling right now uh, about the band. I'm like, have a band (laughs) so uh that was that was a really really wild thing and so i had to kind of come to my wife which is a conversation that will live in our relationship forever and tell her um so you know about this going to nashville thing um here's what's happened and i think we should try to be a band yeah i think we should try to do this i mean look at look at what's happening and uh you know she was she was pretty disappointed uh nashville or you can live here in treefort uh you know <laughs> yeah i can see where that yeah 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 <laughs> i can see where that conversation right. goes. <laughs> she's not from here but uh, right but she's come around by the way she's come around um so it was it was a really crazy kind of it's seeming like a fluke thing that happened and um through that, we were connected with um, a music attorney that um, probably at the time his biggest client was John Mayer, okay. the guy up in New York. Uh, he came down to, to see us play. We had started playing a few shows, and um, I had lots of people call, and I would, I'd have to talk to them and just tell them you know, what was going on. We had a guy in Charleston, South Carolina, who he wanted to manage the band, and his name was Johnny Diamond. Okay. Johnny Diamond, <laughs> real name. Okay, that sounds like, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it sounds exactly what you think yeah. it does. And, uh, so Johnny, um, he was interested, and he's like, I'm going to bring down this attorney. We want to come see the band play. And I was like, all right, come on down, man. Uh, and so during that time, they, they came. We, you know, we were playing more and more and more, and it's kind of like, you know, in a small town, people were hearing about this stuff. Yeah. And so there was, there was kind of energy around what we were doing. So people would kind of come to see us play and more people were coming to see us. Play. What year was this by like oh, this 03? Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This okay. is probably 03. And so we're playing a lot at uh soundstage 516. Nice. Yeah. Was, I don't know if you remember that. I place. remember that place. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That was a great all ages. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was down on 80. At yeah. first, and then yeah, yeah. then it, wait, or was it downtown? And then we moved to eighty. I can't remember what happened. Yeah, yeah. Back when we were doing it, it was it was downtown. downtown, and I think they moved it. I don't know. Maybe. But anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah I Maybe. remember. So we did a, we did a lot of shows there, and it was all ages. Like everything we did was all ages. We didn't really even play bars. We're not old enough. To, I mean, my brother wasn't old enough to play bars. So at the time, how were you? You were back from college, so we were like early twenties. Yeah, I was probably twenty two. Okay, and, yeah. and he was sixteen. Well, he's. Five and a half years younger than me, okay, so how so. old was that? Somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. right? Um, so he wasn't old enough. I mean, I, I think Alligator Joe's downtown. One time we snuck him in to okay. play. I don't gotcha. know if you remember that. No, uh, I don't remember. Place. Right. Uh, so, so that was it. We were playing all ages shows. Um, we had some some interest. We had uh, so Johnny came down. He brought the manager. We had my friend Jeb, who was playing with us at the time. Um, and that you know. In my mind, it's crazy to think about because because I, I thought about it in that moment. I was like, "Well, this, it's all like happening. It's like a light switch." Yeah. And the reality of it is, it's like it's this long process, and and that was probably something I could have done better with because I was thinking like, "Okay, there's just going to be this moment where it's just going to happen." And you know, when Johnny came in, it was it was they were more about saying, "Okay, here's where you are, and we need to get you down the road." Yeah. We need you to 
you know, become a better live band. We need you to become a better, better songwriters. We need to have better recorded material. Um, a deal is certainly what we're all shooting for. We're all shooting for a record deal. So these labels call you, but you don't sign right off. You immediately, what are you like? Hey, we need to talk to somebody about this first. Right. So, and that's, I, and, and then they're, I'm just trying to feel this out, how this process works. So if they call you and then you're like, okay, we need to reach out to someone to help us decide on what we should do. Yeah. Well, then, I knew enough to know that you needed, um, a, an attorney that specialized right. in, in that kind of stuff. Right. So make sure you don't get screwed over. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, so when you brought them in, he's like, now's not the time. We need to grow some legs first. Is that kind of that's, how? Okay. That's exactly gotcha. right. So what Johnny essentially told the interested parties at the time was, and it was, it was the right thing to do. He told him, he said, listen, we're, you know, we're not ready yet. And, uh, hang in there and like, let's keep, let's develop a relationship. You know, let's just, let's track the band together and yeah. see kind of where they end up. Cause they're not, we don't feel like they're ready yet. And that was the right thing to do. Um, again, for, for me, I was thinking, it's like, Oh man, it's go time. Let's yeah. do this. Uh, but that, that wasn't, that wasn't right. And so I give Johnny a lot of credit for doing that. Um, and so from there, you know, we, we had, Johnny would get us on shows. So we would, we would go tour the East Coast. We would go play um, like Charleston, Atlanta, Orlando. He get, he would get us on music festivals. He would get us opening for some some bigger bands. Like who? Um, who's, who's some of you open for? So back then, super early on, um, well, the Florida Music Fest like opened for Lit, which is one of the bigger ones. Yeah. Um, and then he had some bands that he worked with. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm forgetting their name. It'll it'll come to me later. But he he had a band that was signing a deal with Universal, um, that was really 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 good, really big in Charleston. Yeah, and um, so we ended up playing playing with them. It, this back then was it was pretty, still very very early. Right, like we we still we really hadn't even kind of properly recorded in a big studio kind of thing, um, but we were playing shows and we were playing in front of bigger crowds. Um, we were learning, you know, like we were practicing a ton. We were writing and writing and writing, writing, writing. Um, and that, and that was a big, that was a big part of it, man. I mean, there's just no, it's, it's so different today, but there's just no substitute for that time of struggle, you know? Yeah. Because there's something, well, I mean, social media is still not existent yet. No. Right. YouTube. That was it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I believe YouTube. I, I don't even I know. Came, about you, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no one's, yeah. you're not getting online and you know, there's, you're, there's no, you can't pop unless you put in the work. Like it's right. not like, and then you right. gotta be, I mean, imagine how many other people are grinding to do it. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be lined up. So the fact that, that it's just amazing to me how that works because the music, that whole industry has evolved so much because now all someone has to do is just see a video right and then everything's kind of like it can be done like simultaneously right whereas back then it was like no like you're walking through this whole process yeah 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 and you know i don't know i, I think that there's a lot to be gained from that i mean i think there is a lot to be gained from what we went through because it it made us you know when you are broke as all get out and you're in a little little tiny van you got a little tiny trailer yeah and you're just going from little town to little town and you're playing and you're hoping that how much you making per show on these oh, little shows god man back then it was nothing i mean like nothing a couple hundred bucks you would hope yeah you would, you would hope, hope a couple hundred bucks yeah. and then and then yeah. it was just three of you uh no no there, it was um because we we would we brought another guitar player on and um it was it was uh 
guy named Michael Verminer was with us for a little while. And then we um, got Brent Skinner, who became one of our, I guess what you'd say, core members. He was he played with a, a band in Ruston called Rivers, Indiana. He was in, they were great. I mean, they were an incredible band. And so he joined to play guitar. And eventually, the other guitar player for that band, Rivers, Indiana, which we played a lot around here, Chris McPeters, he joined. And so that's our... our they're part of the core membership. There's okay, like five of us. Okay, got you. Core. So five of you traveling in a little van. Yeah, making these little shows. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. and so to the to to the point of uh, Nacho. Back to Nacho. We're we're in Pensacola, Florida, right? And uh, we're this terrible show. There's nobody there. I mean, it's like what tw- venue tw- was it? Like this, a small- this would have been like a vegan coffee house or what? something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, just it's that kind of yeah. stuff. Like yeah. you ended up playing like house shows. Yeah. We would play like mobile home parks. I mean, we there was just whatever no, you could get. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You're just doing whatever. And yeah. So, well, there's only there's no other way to get your name out there. Right. I mean, so yeah, that's it. That's it. So. Um, you know, I remember we were we were sleeping in the van, and he he couldn't sleep in the little van that we had, so he. He, he had his base cab like laid flat in the trailer. So he had just, he's like, forget this man. And he leaves the van and he goes out and he just sleeps on his base cab in the trailer. Yeah. And he wakes up the next day and he says, I'm going home. I'm going home. I just can't do it anymore. And uh, we were like, all right. I mean, that was, a, that was, a, that was tough for me and Jordan because, you know, he had kind of gotten us into music. Yeah. And, um, but he just had, had learned that, um, that he he just didn't want to do it, you know. He just he's like, this is this is too much. I can go home and I'll work. I'll make some money, and you know, I want to get get married and do all that. And yeah. So uh, then we brought on uh, when he left, we brought on Chris Rimmer, who uh, is married to Ansley Rimmer. And okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. so there's a ton of intersection right. with all these stories, and then Chris Rimmer became our bass player, and so he's he's what I would call one of the five sort of core members of the band. Um, but man, that was that was a lot of struggle, you know, a lot of struggle. And uh, I re- and Johnny, who uh, has passed on, which I mean, uh, God bless that dude. He he really he really opened some doors for us. Um, but as time went on, we started to feel like we weren't getting where we wanted to go. Yeah, you know, and this is probably I don't know. A year and a half, two years after this guy, I have to ask about him. So he, um, he was just one of those old school music guys. Is that what he was? He's like older. You know what's what's really crazy? So the first time we ever met Johnny, and all I had done is talk to him on the phone, right? You know, and he definitely had that like classic music industry yeah. guy, like gift of gab. Yeah. You know, he could just talk to anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rick Beato on YouTube. If you, he's this big music guy. He and he and Rick uh, were really tight back then okay and um so rick beato did a really great video about johnny so if anybody's interested it's really worth watching um the first time we ever met johnny my mom came with us to atlanta we were going to play in atlanta and uh she, you know because again she's got a kid in high school right she's yeah, letting yeah. like let me tell you so when i was a senior in high school at my prom i had to be home at 11 o'clock Oh, so that's just a, okay. So them letting you even tour is something that's interesting. Yeah. Well, now back, I'm you know I'm back from college. Right, right, right. But still, but your brother being he, able to go with you. Right, yeah. he's yeah. in high school and he's touring the East Coast. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, talk about uh, you know kind of letting letting loose a little bit. But anyway, so we go to meet uh, Johnny and he's staying at his aunt's house in Atlanta and my mom's there and we roll up and it's like midnight and we walk up the stairs and there's this kid 
literal kid sitting on the steps, and he's holding a handle of Jack Daniels. And this is his little brother, uh, whose name's Jason, who we ended up calling Donnie. So we ended up calling him Donnie Diamond. So this 14-year-old Donnie Diamond is sitting on the porch, like, holding the, <laughs> the Jack Daniels. And my mom walks up, and she sees him, and she's like, what are you doing out here? You know, and he's just like, waiting on you guys, man, waiting on you guys to get here. And so Johnny, come to find out, is like, my age. So he's very young. Okay, gotcha. Um, but uh, again, man, he he was he was really really loved in the industry. He had a lot of fans that were into what he was doing. Like if he was interested in the band, people were interested in the band. Okay, okay, gotcha. Um, so he kind of had this he had this gift. That name just it sounds like an old school. Like when you hear it, you're like it sounds like an old school it. like music you know manager or you know yeah. Anyways, I know, man. So um, I'd like to take a brief tangent to tell a story that I've never really told. Okay, cool. Um, a little bit before this, you know, I'm working at the store in Mansfield, right? So Ivy, Ivy Lumber in yeah. Mansfield. And uh, I work in the cash register. We just took those recordings from Rob Brazell, and we printed them and made a little CD out of it, okay? okay. So I'm selling them at the counter. You know? <laughs> nice. I'm selling them at the counter and at the Wagabag next door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this guy rolls in, and... Uh, you know, in Mansfield, you kind of know everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So this guy rolls in, and he's uh, he's got like you know he's like tatted up, you know, and he's wearing this like uh, velvet shirt, and I'm like, hey man, you know, I'm just curious. I'm like, you know, what, what you doing, man? He goes, oh well, I'm I'm not from here. I'm from New Orleans. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, he got, we're talking. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, I'm in the music industry. I'm like, really? I'm like. He goes, uh, yeah, my name is Flood. I'm a record producer. And so there's probably one person in Mansfield, Louisiana, who would know who Flood is. Yeah. Um, and that's me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flood is one of like my all-time favorite record producers. He's done some of my favorite records ever. And my mouth just hit the floor, right? And so he was pulling around to get some lumber or whatever. And uh, I run because it hits me. And I just run to the back and I grab my CD and I'm like, Hey man, listen, I know, I, you know, I'm not <laughs> yeah, trying I, know to bother I know everybody does this. Yeah. I'm not trying to bother yeah. you, but uh, you know, here's our CD and I gave it to him and I uh, gave him my phone number, you know? Uh, and so anyways, he calls me later. Like I'm living in Shreveport, driving to Mansfield to work. And he calls me. He's like, he's like, Hey man, you know, uh, I'm listening to this CD and uh, I can hear some potential here. And, uh, you know, I'd be interested in, in maybe trying to help you guys out. And I was just like, this is incredible. This is wild. And at what time was that? That was after? That's, you... That was a little bit before okay. the Johnny. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Everything kind of gotcha. gotcha. hit. Okay. Um, but in Mansfield, Louisiana, yeah. this guy rolls up. And uh, What was he doing there anyways? Like, what was he... I don't know. He bought lumber. He bought just lumber. randomly bought lumber. Just not the no, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> We start to have conversations. Like he starts calling me, you know, and he's we're talking. We'll talk music. We we'll talk music for hours, you know. We just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. And uh, he's just like, "Look, I tell you what, we're gonna do, man." He goes, "I'm gonna get you out here in L.A. and we're gonna track. And uh, you know, I'm gonna get you like this sandwich spread with 16 grain bread." And he goes, "I'm gonna have my buddy Slash come in and play on this for you." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, all right." Remember this dude that I met at the Lumberyard yeah, yeah. in Mansfield, Louisiana. So 
as the conversations progress, they kind of start to take a weird turn. Like, he starts to ask some questions that are pretty inappropriate. Okay. Involving, you know, like me and my wife and stuff like that. Yeah. And so we are basically getting ready to fly out to Los Angeles to meet this guy. Right. And, uh, I don't know, man, something just comes over me. I'm like, you know, something's just not right about Cause we talk about all kinds of stuff, but, right? you know, I kind of hear these questions. I'm just sort of like, man, I, that's, that's a little strange. Yeah. So we're getting ready to go, man. We're getting ready to go to LA. He's like, look, all I want you to do is buy the tape. You buy the tape. I'll make it all happen. Slash will be here. The deadly tray will be here. Uh, and so I started doing some, some research. So I'm like, you know, I don't know if I can, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on. Okay. So, Long story short, uh, Flood's British. All right? Yeah. This guy, not British. Oh, so it wasn't even him. <laughs> it wasn't even him. <laughs> he was trying to scam you. The whole time. Holy shit. The whole time, <laughs> this guy was running this elaborate scam. Well, how, what was his end game, though? No clue. He, we were going to go to L.A. Yeah, but like when he gets you there, like kill us, yeah, take us out, rob us. Like I mean, but still, that's crazy. It's, so like it was all this time the into that most was, insane thing, and to, even to, to use the name Flood, like how that connection there, and yeah. and he was, I think he was a guy that was loosely involved in the music industry in New Orleans. Well, he had to, he had to have enough knowledge to talk yeah. to you about all those things. So and and that's exactly right. Like I would ask questions about the records that I loved. And he would answer the questions credibly. Like, yeah. You know, with answers, he'd be like, oh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, yeah. you know? And so he, he, dude, he had us totally, I mean, we had to like, we took his credit card number and tried to track him back that way. We called like local law enforcement. Like we tried everything to figure out who this guy was. But yeah, at the end of the day, fake flood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and who, like I said, who knows? That dude might have. Taking us all out and killed us out and left us out in the desert. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, sorry, that's a that's a tangent, but I thought that was worth. No, uh, that's crazy. Worth worth. No, that, no, about. that's crazy. That's uh, that's interesting too because I, I yeah, <laughs> I'm just interested to know like what the game was. Like that's that's what's blowing my mind. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, we we get we get back to that. We're in the we're in the Johnny phases. We're cutting our teeth. Uh, we go and record, make a little recording. Uh, we make another little recording with a guy named Eric Bass. Who was now the bass player for Shinedown? Um, this was he. He had been in bands, and uh, he was kind of converting over to production. Got you. And um, so we did some recordings here, did some recordings there. We're feeling good about it. We're starting to shop it. Okay, so um, you know it's been some pretty good amount of time has passed since then. But we were playing a ton. You know, we were building our following. MySpace was coming on, so. Uh, yeah, we were kind of getting, we were, we were getting MySpace famous and, uh, you know, we, as we, we put it out there, there was a, a few labels that were kind of interested in the, in the recording. Um, but we ended up signing with a label called Immortal Records, who was based out of California. Um, they had had a previous, a pretty good run in the late nineties with bands like Incubus and, you know. Corn, I forget some of the others, okay. but, but they had done really well. They had sold their owner had sold the label, um, but he had just sort of bought it back. So his his plan was, is he said, "Well, I was going to, I'm going to get a bunch of baby bands, so kind of what they call young bands, and and we're just going to try to, you know, do the same thing, see see if I can make it happen again." 
so we um, we signed with Immortal, which was a huge deal for us, you know, because it's like at that time, you know, in, in Shreveport, um, I know there's, you know, there's certainly been bands after that, but there wasn't a lot of bands that had signed deals from Shreveport, you know, at least right. that we knew of. Right. Um, and that and that's not taking anything away from, you know, our like heroes here, American Tragedy. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, they were one of the first bands to sort of take us out of town. We played a lot with them. We played a lot with Built for Speed here locally. Um, great guys that really took care of us and, you know, kind of showed us how to get out of town and, uh, and do that. But so there, we were, we were super proud of that, you know, I mean, cause we, I mean, think about Grand Canyon. It's like, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's literally just pasture, man. Like yeah, a little strip of stores. That's it. I mean, like a little downtown, half downtown, one street. Yeah. 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 So, so we were really proud of that. It was a, that was a proud day for us. Um, signed to the label and we, we began work on the record. So um, we we talked to a few different producers, and uh, we, we really hit off with this guy named Elvis Basquette. So Elvis, uh, just to give you his background, the first record he ever did was Incubus Make Yourself. Okay. Like, out of nothing. That was, like, his first, his first like, real record that he made. And so we liked, we liked that record a lot and some of the other things that he had been involved in. He was in with Chevelle and that kind of stuff. And um, so we decided to, to, to work with him and, uh, we, we went out to, he had a, a studio that was on the beach in Virginia. And, uh, so we spent a month out there and it was one of the greatest times of our lives. I mean, so, I mean, it's like, you got a beach, you got this house, yeah, you're making this record, uh, you got no responsibilities, you know, it's just, it was just one of the greatest times, man. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we took took the month, uh, put the record down. So what year was this? This was, was two thousand and six. Oh six, okay. Yeah, so, so you can see how much time is. Yeah, passed, so I mean, right? you took a while to grow your brand yeah. at that point. You didn't have really any other way to do it but to get out there and move the music around. Yeah. What was the? <clears throat> not to cut you off, but I sure. want to ask you this before I forget. So, what was the song that, like, kind of popped, put you guys on the map that everybody liked? You know that, you, that are you saying before the record or no? Yeah, before the record, like before you signed the deal. Yeah. Like when people started hearing your music, like what was that song that just really stuck in everyone's head? Um, well, before before we did the actual record, right. we we had that kind of split recordings, two different. Uh, where we t- I told you we had uh, Eric Bass recorded and then right. Ed Rose did the other five, and it was kind of an EP that we would right. we would sell or give away. And there was a song called New Year on there that was. Um, you know, even even now, because it gets on Christmas playlists, so it starts to, you know, bubble our streams up. But New Year was far and away our our biggest song. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so that we, we that that was a strength on there that that some albums. I mean, some of the labels were, you know, they were kind of listening to that EP because that was their idea of like, okay, where's this band going? Right. Hear the EP, gotcha. can you? You know, so that's that's what they were hearing off of that uh, that EP. But um, you know, so so back to getting the label. Uh, getting the record in the can, getting it back to the label. And then they started pushing us out with um, what I would call in that moment, like the genre appropriate tours. Gotcha. So that's when we're touring with bands like uh, June, Showbread, Pillar. We got into this kind of a Christian okay. Christian tour run somehow. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, this Providence fueled by ramen bands, some other smaller bands at other smaller labels, but that, you know, uh, June was like a victory band, I think. 
So we got into a lot of sort of kind of scene tours there, a band called Classic Crime that was on Tooth and Nail. Um, we always had really good connections with Tooth and Nail bands. You know, that's kind of that Christian. Right, set, right. But we were we didn't want to really go there. You're not direction. a Christian band. Correct. Right, got gotcha, gotcha. So, um, but we always had really good relationships with Tooth and Nail, with a lot of Tooth and Nail bands. Um, so we'd end up playing with a lot of them. So that time, you know, you're playing for like 200, 300 kids, you know, we're across the country. Um, you got a booking agent that's come on board now, so he's helping with that. Um, and that's when, you know, you got the album ready, you're feeling good. It's like the tours are picking up. Um, you know, we upgraded. We we got a nicer van, yeah. a nicer trailer. <laughs> you got some money. <laughs> well, no, no money. <laughs> no, no money. <laughs> um, but at that point, like things are picking up, and yeah. you're like, "Hey, man, this is this is going. You know, this is going somewhere." And um, record comes out in April. I want to say 2007, maybe. And um, you know, at at that point, everybody's is feeling really good. Um, the tours are going exactly the way that they're supposed to be going, picking up. And um, fast forward just a little bit to October, and uh, the owner of the label, this guy named Happy Walters, says, I'm shutting the label down. Damn. And uh, he was also a sports agent, so he had this sports agency going, which made him a whole lot more Right, money. right. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> From a business perspective, standpoint right. I totally get it right and you got this thing that's not making any money and you got this things are your passion project over here and yeah right taking right. away from the money maker yeah so you know our album came out in April um and we had you know at that time the way it would work and maybe it still does to a degree is that you would really want to sign to an indie label first mm-hmm. okay now the indie labels um sometimes they were owned by the majors and it was just kind of a front because it, it was like you have more street cred if you come out on the indie label first and then you upstream to the big boys. Well, when our when our record was ready for launch, we had, you know, at least one that was very serious about going ahead and like putting us putting us through like locking it up. And um, the label owner whatever it, it didn't it didn't work. Like either he wanted too much money or they couldn't see eye to eye on it and we were just kinda like it was out of our hands, right? Yeah. But we were just like, man, that, that would have been huge for us. Like to have, you know, Columbia being a part of our right, team, right. kind of kind of standing back and watching. But from a resource standpoint, to have a major in your corner, like saying, hey, when the next record comes out, it's going to be out on the big right, boy. Right, right. And so it was kind of a bum that, that that didn't work out. And then he closed the label. And so in music, it's you're kind of become bad money to a degree if you've already got something out and it's not going anywhere. So, you you know, you don't throw good money at, at bad money, but um, we really ran out of, because the label, the indie label's job is to really like make you the boots on the ground soldiers, you know, like keep you in the, keep you in the van, give you a little tour support, just keep you running, keep you on these tours. And that's really the natural progression, the way it should have gone. Right. And build up enough clout and popularity to grow to the bigger. Yeah. Exactly. So y'all just jumped right into a bigger pool, I guess, and didn't have any. Well, well, and again, they, you know, they, they couldn't make that deal work out. Right. So it was just immortal and then immortal closed. Gotcha. So that really, you know, from us with the album coming out in April, they close in October. That's not really a great place to be. Now, We had a saving grace in that we had some um, we had some fans that 
you know, were sort of parallel with this team that was helping us, and they were trying to help us. So they, you know, there was a there was a um, big music management firm in New York called McGathy Indigoot, and they're an old like throwback like seventies rock radio kind of kind of thing. And the guy okay. who ran it was this guy named Bill McGathy. And he was probably the only person I was like afraid of in the music industry. I was like afraid <laughs> of this guy. Still am to this day. So if he hears this like, you know, I, I don't know what I would do if he if he shows up. But anyway, so so he uh, our producer Elvis says, look, you need to help these kids. They're great. They got it going. The label just shut down. Um what can you do? And so he was running. He was a big rock radio producer. So he uh, was associated with like Shinedown and, uh, oh gosh, man, Chevelle, Puddle of Mud. Gotcha. I mean, tons of those bands in that world. So yeah, you can those, s- are, and those are really like booming at that time. Those yes. Really, really, really popular and yes. just growing. They're not even at their peak yet. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, there's like, Loosely associated with Nickelback and, and Theory of a Dead Man, that, yeah. that kind of stuff. Right. But very different than the world that we have come out of, right? So so very different audiences. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a huge age difference. Yep. I mean, we were on these all-ages tours, sometimes Christian tours, and then it's like this group of bands was just a whole different thing. Yeah. Uh, so they they see us play, and they pick us up. They're like, look, your label's shutting down. It's all good. You know, we're gonna we're gonna kind of pick these things up, and we're gonna see where we can go. And I'm like, you know what? At this point, what do we have to lose? Yeah. You know, everything that everything that we were working on is just falling apart. So, um, we start to get on some pretty big tours, like uh, those bands that I mentioned. You know, a couple dates with Shine Down, and we were just, I mean, looking around at how big these crowds were. You're there opening for them. We're opening. Yeah. That's insane, man. I know it. I yeah. mean, massive, massive crowds. And we're playing and, and we are loving life. Yeah. Like this is, I mean, you know, I, I still have the image of we would be outside the, these venues and there would be tour bus, tour bus, tour bus. Band. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. The the, tiny that, little van. It's awesome yeah. just to, um, to put that in perspective because, like, people don't realize, like, first of all, you bust your ass the whole time, and there's, like, I guess there's really no help. I mean, you really are just putting in the road time, right? You have yep. to put in the road time. I that's mean, it. you just have to. It. It's like yeah. at that day and age, now it's not there, but you have to put in the road time. You get you get synced up. You, you run into all these walls, and then you finally break through. And then so, like, what's it what's – it, how is that crowd? Okay, so you're playing for all ages crowds, Christian mm-hmm. crowds. Some, yeah, they're chill, having a good time, but they're not like shit faced, drunk, and partying, That's right? Exactly so right. I'm sure it's a huge environment, and you know, um, exactly there's a right. shock factor there. And then also, like, what's their? How does your music align with like opening for a band like that? Is it like? Does the crowd come out and say, "Okay, we're ready to shine down here"? Your stuff are like, "Oh, it's something a little different, but it's cool," and it leads into that. What's that feel like? That is a great question. Yeah, because that's immediately what I think about. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you see these bands come out of nowhere and you've never heard of them, and then they take off, but they have to tour with someone like that before they really get the you know momentum. So one of the big differences between the all ages tours that we were on and what we really grew up on is that you know when you're young, you're you're much more sort of open minded to new stuff, and so when you're young and you see like five bands are playing the show and they're paying for like three dollar cover or something to get in the door or whatever and like 
they're all kind of like-minded and they may be sound way different, but they're all kind of like-minded culturally, yeah. you know, like we would play shows like in Bastrop or whatever, and it'd be like a hardcore band, you know, like heavy stuff. There would be super pop stuff. There'd be a piano band playing. It's like all this wide variety on this show, you know, but the kids all, we were all, we all kind of came from this scene kind of thing where it was like, this is cool. You know, we all like similar kind of music. There could be very different bands playing, and, and you know you get it, you know. Um, but those the crowds that we ended up playing for, to your point, number one, alcohol is a huge factor, right? And then secondly, what's happening there is that because these people are older, you know, they are um, music is serving a much different function in their life. Yeah, you know, it's not this connective thing to make friends and, and do this stuff with. It's like, I'm an adult. My job sucks. Yeah, it's an outlet. And I'm here to just let some yeah. stress off. Yeah. And however that takes shape. And so when you're the opener for those shows, you are just in their way, you know? Yeah. That's, that was yeah. my question. You know, like not to, not to put anything against what you guys were doing, but like, I just, I can only I see that sometimes, right? But then, like, when you go to a show, you're like, I just, I, I'll wait, I, I'll show up late because I know the opener's going to play, you know, kind of thing. Yep. But a lot of, a lot of times, it's, they're really good. They just don't have right. any, they haven't had any time to, you know, blossom yet. Sure. You know, or just, sure. you haven't heard them yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, that, and that really, really is challenging because I'm not going to say that the crowds are hostile because they're not, and it really depended on the band. Like, right. Chevelle was a lot harder yeah. than Puddle of Mud. Right. Um Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, really? 100%. Yes. Um, but but to open for those um, those big, big crowds with those bands, we had to become... Like, we were already road dogs. So we were already tough. I mean, we already could go into a bar and play originals and loosely keep a bar crowd going. Yeah. Like, we could already do that. Right. We were already, like, strong enough to kind of hold a bar crowd who didn't know us. And that's 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 a, something that's to be said skill. there. Most of yeah. the time, like if you if, just to put in perspective, even if you go to Nashville, like you go into every single bar, they're playing covers, right? Exactly. You don't want to hear an exactly. original. That's right. You know, so like to have enough, you know, have enough clout and have enough, you know, skill and talent to keep a crowd there. You know, I mean, yeah. that's saying something. Yeah, and, and that's a skill you really got to work on. Yeah, and that really comes down to like your writing and your performance and how you how you structure things and how you put stuff together. But we had to learn all that. But we were already like tough in that way. But once we got onto that new stage that new playing field we had to take it up even another notch because it's like look we know that we're in your way right now but we are coming to smash your face in yeah like and then the five of us just became you just felt like this like almost like football team or whatever and like you would hit the stage and you'd be like we're gonna crush these people (laughs) every one of them we're gonna crush every single person if you don't like us we don't care. Yeah. No, we don't care. Like we are coming to smash your face in. And, uh, so that mentality of having to do that night after night, after night, after night, um, with people who, again, like not really hostile, but just maybe indifferent. Yeah. And that's the worst thing. You know, that's the thing you don't, I'd rather you hate us than be indifferent. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Because indifference just means they're not going to ever open their mind up to anything right. we're doing. Yeah. Right. So, um, so that process was really, really important, but it did make us, again, you know, who, who we were and that we felt we honestly, like we stylistically, like if you listen to our music, you don't hear Puddle of Mud and you don't hear Chevelle, but, you know, we would, on those tours, there would be other openers. And so 
we would be, you know, usually at the front. Okay. And then the other bands would be stylistically much more in alignment with those bands. So they, they were really, they made sense. You know, for us, we, we were kind of a little bit all over the place. Yeah. But we would, you know, they, we would watch. And so they would sell maybe 25 CDs. We'd sell 100, you know, because it wasn't so much about stylistically. It was about that live. We, we just felt like we were badass dudes. You know, and okay. so, um, and we learned like a couple tricks. So we saw some bands that were really grinders and kind of tried to emulate what they were doing. And um, <laughs> so one of the best tricks was right after you play, you know, you got 3,000 people out there. Yeah. So right after you play, we had backpacks and we had, we only traveled with one other person. So we didn't have a crew, we didn't have anything. So some of the guys would start packing gear up and like two or three of us would put on backpacks and we would jump into the crowd, <laughs> jump into the crowd and start pulling CDs out and just start sell like, and we would sell them like crazy, sell them like crazy. And that, that was just part of well, that. That's the perfect time to catch them right, literally right then. Cause they yeah, couldn't believe it. Direct to market. Yeah. yeah like they right they couldn't like, believe it. The band you. that was standing up there is like now like straight out walking yeah. through the crowd, selling people stuff. Yeah. They couldn't, couldn't believe that. And, you know, you, and again, as people are so drunk at the end of the night, they're like, Hey man, is, you know, like, is that like, uh, what's, I mean, name of puddle of mud song or whatever, is that song on there? And we'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah. Track three. Here you go. So you're, you're, <laughs> are you singing and playing guitar? What is your, yeah. okay. So yeah. you're doing both. Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. Kind of, I kind of half and half it. Right. Um, with that, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's no, that's awesome. I think it's awesome. So where do you go from there? So you're, you're doing all that. Um, you're touring with them. I guess you're. Are you getting some record sales at that point? I mean, you're. you're is, is it being distributed still? It's. Um, are you having to still just like sling CDs? No, we're we're slinging CDs like crazy. Yeah. I mean, it. Under the release, I remember it was sold at the Best Buy here in Shreveport. Like we were just like we walked into Best Buy. It's like man, there's Hell a record yeah, here in Shreveport. It. It's incredible, you know. Uh, some some WalMarts and some of the other record chains would 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 carry it. Um, but again, that label's gone, so there's no right. there's no distribution right. for it. So it's basically like we gotta we gotta get another another deal yeah. going. And then, but the the McGathy, the big New York guy, he just wanted to keep us out with um, those big bands, and they had a first right of refusal with uh, Roadrunner Records, and again, stylistically, just not not where we were. I mean, just. I mean that is that was Nickelback at the time, right? Gotcha. Like Megadeth was on there, and um, some other really really big rock, radio rock bands. And the kind of culmination of all of it really was we had a showcase in. Um, they brought us up to New York City, so we flew up to New York City and played. Um, I think at the Mercury Lounge or the Mercy Lounge or something like that, and it was to play for Roadrunner. So the entire staff came up and. Um, Big time A and R guys were there, and you know. What was your here. What was your feeling at that point? Was that like this is going to make or break us right here? I felt that way. Yeah, because yeah. I'm just as I'm trying to sink into this, yeah. I feel like that's where what were you were your nerves racked? You, you, did you how did you perform? How, how did that go? So it was not. We didn't have any of our stuff. We didn't. You know, we we didn't have our crowd, and that was the thing about that's the thing about showcases. Because we had done I don't know five or six showcases, and you're never playing in front of in front of your people. Right. So you don't always, have that, you don't have that enthusiastically exactly. like connection there. Exactly. And that's, that's one of the hardest things about showcases is that a lot of times they're in a dry room 
And for us, we really, really fed off. Like, we would play Rabs here, you know, man, 400, 500 people. I remember that place, man. That place, gosh. That was, that was one of our favorite places yeah, to play. Yeah, that was a party, man. It was, it was a great time. We just, we were like, if you could come see us at Rabs. Yeah. If you could come get it, like, in our spot doing what we do. But it was like, no, come to New York and play in front of, like, 15 people. Right. Know, something like that. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a tough, uh, it was a tough room. It was a tough show. You know, could we, it's on, I think the show's on YouTube. If you, if anybody wants to watch it, you can see like different songs that are cut out of it. I think we did okay. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think the label made the right call and they said, you know, I don't, I don't think this is for us. And knowing there, you know, you know, because I'm in business. So what year I, was that? This was 2000, and the end of 2008. Okay, so you ran, so you did that for. Okay, got you. So you've yeah. been on tour for a while. Yeah, we yeah. had been doing the big band tour for, for a year about and a half. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, 08, and then are you still touring after this, or what happens? So, you know, after that show, because that's really that's it, it was like we had to get another deal. Yeah, because you know, we don't have no deal. There's no point in what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, the label kind of comes out and says, "Look, guys are great, but we don't we don't think this is for us." And that was where all their eggs were in that basket. With that, it was their first right of refusal. That was what fed their um, rock radio promotion. So they did. A, they had a promotions company that ran. Uh, right. they, they basically would pitch those bands out to the radio stations. You know, ninety nine X kind of stuff. Um, and two, you know, to be honest, like that genre at that time wasn't exactly thriving. Like at the backside of two thousand and eight, nine. That's when a lot of you remember a lot of like those rock radio stations started closing down. You know, Clear Channel had it was, yeah, it was kind of that thing. Yeah, yeah kind of just it, I don't know. It just went out with a bang. It's pretty crazy how that happened. It, it did. And then what we we missed during that process was sort of how streaming. We we live right now in the streaming era, right? We, well, streaming was taking off then. That was going to be my other question. Because let's go back real quick before we get into that. So. Yeah. You got to explain the mad hustle of slinging CDs because people do not understand it now, especially anyone yeah. you know under the age of probably thirty, right? Or yeah. I mean, they're well, they're late twenties, right? Um, you had to go purchase even before even before pirating started, right? I mean, mm-hmm. all of us would steal music. I mean, come yep. on, let's be honest, yep. right? I did, but even did. still, yeah, but even still, like it was still getting played, right? Mm-hmm. So it had to get to a CD for yep. someone to hear it, you know, yes. and getting those like. I just, I think it's so cool to, you, you're still, I mean, some people, yeah, they, we got merch, you know, check us out after you get done, but no one's buying fucking CDs anymore, man. They're just not, you know, you buy some t-shirts or something, I guess, if you really like someone, but like yeah. getting out there and selling those things is literally your ride or die. <laughs> well, to your point, when we, when we asked our label for tour support, they gave us a box of CDs. <laughs> <laughs> There's your support right there. They're like, sell them. Sell them. Gas yeah. money. We would, you know, when we first started playing, we would burn, we would burn CDs, like three songs on them, and we yeah. would just give them out to people. Right. And, uh, you know, just, a, man, a totally different era, but, but you know, I come, I appreciate it. I love, I love albums. Yeah. You know, I love listening to every, to trying to understand how the, the band or artist wanted, wanted you to hear it, you know, from top to bottom. And now you lose a lot of that, you know, with the streaming. Um, but even even the streaming infrastructure hadn't, to your point, hadn't even come on. No, you had an iPod at that time. That right. was about it. That's right. So it had gone from like CD sales, CD sales, and then it was had totally bottomed out because there was the pirating and all yeah. that. And, and that's kind of the this time frame. 
So you're right in the where you can't really yes. sell CDs. You don't have a label pushing your CDs past whatever was produced initially. Right. And then the, the what really works today, so the the like 360 deals that have all the streaming and all the social media stuff, yeah. and all that, that hadn't even... No, nothing's going out yet. That didn't happen. So we were kind of in the valley of yeah. trying the to, valley of trying the to figure out how to market industry. yourself when the industry's yeah. changing entirely of how it markets itself. Yeah, yeah, makes yeah. sense. No doubt. So, um, so that's that's where we were. And uh, you know, man, I mean, look, I, I take a lot of. I talked about this with the guys. I take a lot of ownership over, you know, our. I'm not going to call it failures, but like how, how we didn't, we didn't exactly go where we wanted to go just because I felt like I, there was a lot of decisions to be made along the way. And did I make the right decision, the right people to trust, the right people to talk to, you know? So I, I take a lot of like ownership of it. Um, but ultimately it was just a really tough time. Yeah. You know, it was a tough time for anybody kind of in that period where it hadn't been figured out. You know, it's like, if, if like it been 10 years ago, it had been a total different thing. It would probably have been an MTV thing. Right. It would have been a, you know, kind of that. And if it had been 10 years later or, or five years later, then it would have been a, you know, let's, we're going to put all our resources into building your social media. And like, we're going to, you know, you can see bands doing it now and you go, wow, man, look at these guys taking off. But there's so many people behind them that's, that oh, are yeah. helping them, oh yeah you know, kind of further that. So, um, back to the, back to the show in New York, um, just didn't, didn't, didn't work out the way we wanted it to. And at that point we all kind of felt, um, you know, I'd been, I, I started, I was married before I was in the band. Okay. So, gotcha. So um, you're doing that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're trying to be married and yeah. be on tour. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that was really challenging. I think in the first 60 months, if I get this right, 60 months of our marriage, we were together for 20 of those 60 months. I, I might have those numbers wrong, but it was something crazy like that. Dang, like we were man. gone all the time. Yeah. And uh, so that was really, really difficult, and that was coming to that was serious friction at that time. Um, and you know, you're I got a degree, you know, I got a I got a business degree, and you see yourself doing these great tours, this big time stuff, and you come home and you like passing out the money, and it's like it's like a minimum wage job, yeah. Not even that, yeah. right? Because I mean, I'm working 24 hours a day. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, incredible perks, um, right? But it just felt like at the time that, you know, some doors were closing and, um, I, I felt like personally I needed to, you know, try to kind of turn the page and look for something that would be a little bit more stable. Um, and that's when we, we kind of moved back home, got back into the family business and this was 2011. Um, and as you know, we've worked together on some things. Yeah. You know, we, well, what's the what's the family support like? So I know they were probably a little bit um, like, did your parents want you to get into the family business, or were they were they apprehensive that you guys wanted to chase that dream? What was that like? That, that kind of something that I think about. Yeah. No, that's a great question. So, um, you know, my parents are very uh, conservative, very religious, mm -hmm. uh, incredible people. I'm very grateful for them. And on, on, I would say they, they looked at it two different ways. So my mom was very supportive. Um, she, she really believed in us. She thought we could really, um, you know, do some great things. I think my dad shared that, but he was afraid. He was afraid of what, what happened to us. Rightly so, by the way. Right. right. Because I mean, it's a wild world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think all along he did want us to be, 
back in the business, working in the business. Um, but you know, again, they, I think they would, they'd, it'd be kind of a split decision, um, to that point. But I mean, it's wild when your, your sons are out there so young and we're all over the, I mean, we played just about in every state. We went to Canada in February. Oof. So you can imagine, uh, sub-zero temperatures, these dudes from Louisiana making the mountain pass from Mm -hmm. Vancouver to Edmonton. And that's a hairy road. Yeah. I mean, uh, just driving through the snow, through the ice. I mean, we did all of that. We played Maine. I mean, we played everywhere, man. Everywhere. What's your favorite place to play? Um, like, hands down. Just as far as a cool venue? Or no, just like all things considered. All things considered. Based um, on everywhere you've been. All the people you played with. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll se- if I can, I'll separate. I mean, because we yeah. did a lot of the House of Blueses and, and uh, Hard Rocks and all that kind of stuff. Um, Kane's Ballroom in, uh, is it Tulsa, Oklahoma? That's the coolest venue in America. Okay. At least, I mean, maybe outside of what's the one in Nashville, the Ryman. We didn't play yeah, the Ryman, but yeah. uh, Kane's. And I've, I've seen a, so many other musicians say Kane's. And, dude, Kane's is phenomenal. It's such a cool place. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, again, Rabs and Rustin was just, <laughs> ah, that was so much fun. That place, man, when it was popping, it was, man, every weekend. Yeah. Every weekend someone was playing there. From, yeah. From, like, bands like what you guys had all the way to, like, Gary Allen. Mm-hmm. When that dude would come there, oh, my God, man. I remember yeah. He would, that's, like, the only place he would come around here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it would go until, like, four in the morning. Yeah. It's just insane, man. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's. That's sort of where, you know, we had to kind of go and get. So you kind of just hung it up right there and just said, we're putting a pause on this, or were you planning yeah. on ending it there? What was the plan? You know, um, I, I thought that it, it was basically over in that capacity. Right. You know, to, to try to do it with that much, um, with that much commitment, I felt like it was, it was probably done. You know, and that was tough. It was a tough deal because I mean we worked really really hard, you know. I mean that that's probably that's what a lot of people miss in something like that is that I remember reading the magazine articles like Dimebag something way back when I was a kid or whatever, and it was like, uh, hey, what would you tell somebody that wants to be a famous musician? And I think his first words were something like, don't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't try, yeah, because and then he said, okay, now that I've said that, let's get real. Like, if you really want to do this, it's going to take an enormous amount of work. Know that you're going to quit every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some, something in your head is going to tell you that at least, you know. Yeah, you're going to get out there. Like, you drive from Salt Lake City to Denver or wherever it was, and there's like two people there. Yeah. And one's the bartender and one's the guy at the door. And you just drove, how many hours is that, to play for no one? Yeah. And you're just thinking... I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is it. But then, conversely, you've got nights where you know in front of four thousand people at Club La Vila, and you say you you tell everybody to get up and jump, and you see this sea of people jumping up and down, and you're like, "What's that do to your headspace?" <sighs> honestly, yeah, like real so, talk. So honestly, that kind of power, there's no drug or sexual experience that even comes close. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, there's nothing like that. Well, what does it do to your headspace to be from, uh, 
to do that and then go back to a bar that's empty people like it's gotta fuck with you right <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. i mean I, yeah, I can only imagine the experience but then also like that much stimulation to none yeah and uh, uh, there's no in between right 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 yeah yeah no it it's uh it 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 really i, I think I, I would just kind of go back to my example in, in that that's what messes with you what messes with right. you is is even getting to getting to feel that experience messes with you because where do you go from there yeah you know where do you go when you like tell somebody when you tell this group of people to do something you know like raise your hand or whatever it is and just feeling that power is just there's just nothing even close so yeah to your point of going to play the empty bar afterwards it's like what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but i mean i can only imagine doing? like standing up and just not the, just the nerve-wracking of of making sure everything's perfect you know what i mean yeah but a lot of people don't understand like too is you're gonna make mistakes on stage and a lot of times people won't even catch it because they're mm-hmm. just drunk and having a good time they're, they're they're so consumed with you being there yeah that they aren't paying attention to if that you know this is off tune or something and where the, you are and, <laughs> yeah. and the bigger the bigger the shows the bigger the shows are the more that gets clouded yeah because the sound systems get so big and so um, it this wall of sound kind of protects protect you will hear more it's harder to play a small room than it is to play one of those big places yeah because the the sound system it, it's uh it's it's way more intimate when people are just like there with you and can see you but when you're just looking out to this mass of people you don't really connect with anybody and the you know the sound like when you when you hit the kick drum it's just like yeah and that's what it sounds like right so if you hit that wrong note that kick drum's still going yeah and it's it's so it's way i think it's way easier to play at those shows okay um you certainly don't have to connect with anybody yeah you know i mean you connect with this big mass you know but it's not like you're trying to you know when i'm playing and it's small like I, i'm kind of noticing people and i, I want I, I kind of like to get this circle of energy going, you know, where it's like, I'm getting it from you. It's coming back to me and I'm getting it back to you. And we're kind of, we kind of got this thing going, but if I'm, you know, if I can see that you're not in it, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I start go, like, why is that person not, you know, what, what's going on? What do I need to do? What do I need to, and I'm not thinking about this, like, it, it's kind of like this sort of in real time thing where you're just noticing so many, so many things, so many faces and you're trying to like get everybody, mm-hmm. you know, you're just trying to like work this energy. It's probably like somebody's doing a, a fitness thing where you're trying to get everybody in the room to like, yeah. you know, uh, hit those reps or whatever. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, that um, did you did y'all ever play at Warehouse? That used to be a big venue mm-hmm. around here. Yeah, yeah. used to be like a huge venue for rock too. Yeah, that we did. Place. We did. That was like the last standing pillar of anywhere you could listen to rock locally for a while. You know right, what I mean? Right. Um, Up I, until like probably, man, I would say the last year I went there was like 15, 16 maybe. And then it's kind of blemished after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. it we probably played there, I don't know, four or five times. Yeah. It was, uh, it, was, it was a nice venue here in town for that kind of thing. I mean, um, you know, the, usually the sound was good and. I liked how they had it, how they had that set up in there. You know? Yeah, with the, like the yeah off the stage in the corner, and then a, uh, immediately a bar up front and a bar back there. Yeah, it was yeah, a nice setup with the second story and stuff. We did. Uh, is it was it called? Um, what was the one close to Centenary? Man, um, um, it's on the same side of the road as Centenary. 
Um, Dude, I can't remember. Someone's going to hear this and know that. <laughs> no, no, no. Like every, all of those yeah. venues at that time we had played. Yeah. I mean, we played, oh gosh, man, all of them. Yeah. I mean, just because that's, that's what you did. You yeah. know? And, and now, you know, I see a lot of bands nowadays, they'll do a lot of restaurants and they'll do a lot of uh, like breweries and stuff. Did and, you ever, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, we just, they, we never did that. Yeah, we I mean. never do that. Right. So you're not, yeah, right. You're not playing, you're playing live band yes. shows. You're not playing yes. any. Why was that? You were like, I'm, that's not what we're chasing. We don't want to get stuck in a rut. What was the? You know, it wasn't really. It wasn't really that. I, I think that number one, there wasn't as many of those opportunities. There weren't as many restaurants that were that had live music. Yeah, and if and a lot of restaurants, if they're doing it, you know, the way I imagine it's kind of like two Johns, where there's got a piano, yeah, it's like singing covers yeah. or something like that. And I, I think that it, we never got into anything that required a lot of covers. Right. We never really played covers. Um, so if we were going to play, it's like, it's going to be our stuff. And, yeah. uh, we made the recover. We played the casino a few times, uh, which was hilarious, but you know, it's the same thing. You know, we, we just, we don't play covers. That's not what we do. And, uh, we want the people that will come, you know, hopefully they like our music and, um, that's what, that's what we do. Did you ever go play Nashville? Yeah. Yeah. We played Nashville and quite a bit. What was there? What was it like whenever you went and played there? Like, I, like you were about to move there and then you're going back playing. Like, was that ever a thought? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, here's what I I'll say. I could have been here doing something else, but I'm here doing this now. Right. You know, kind of uh, thing. You know I, I never, I never looked at it like it was, um, you know, it was a triumph or anything. Yeah. One of the things about the shows in cities like that, um, particularly Nashville, particularly Los Angeles, New York city, um, markets like that, even shows with big bands aren't very good uh, or weren't very good yeah. because the, those markets are spoiled. Oh, dude, so yeah. They have, every, some, they have every single night someone's yeah. playing in every yeah. single bar. Like, to, yeah. to imagine, like, just the, just the one time I've been there, I was just like, man, like, just, like, every single room you walk into, yeah. it's really good talent. Everywhere. But, but you're not appreciating it because it's in every single fucking room you walk into. Right. right? You know, right. like, so when we went, I took my wife there last year for a birthday and I'd never been either. We went and we were walking down. I'm just like country, country, country. I'm cool with that. But I was like, then we heard someone playing a rock cover and it was a female vocalist and it was a full rock band. I was like, Oh shit, let's go in here. So we went in there and then we ended up, they were announcing they were playing at another bar the next night, so we ended up catching yeah, them the with that. So it was, yeah. it was pretty cool. Like yeah. that was cool. Like we've become a little groupie for two days, you know, yeah. yeah. because we just didn't want to hear the same covers in every single. Mm-hmm. You know, like if they're not, I don't know. I'm I'm that way where I'd rather hear your original stuff and then determine if I like you or not yeah. instead of you trying to capture my attention or entertainment for you know an hour while I'm in this bar with a cover Brooks and Dunn cover song. You know sure, I mean? yeah. I just don't appreciate it, and I think that's what happens. So I, I could see where that happens. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, and I mean Nashville because I lived in after after the band shut down. We actually did my wife and I did move okay. to Nashville for a year. Okay, so I did. We did get to do that, um, and then we went to move to Charleston for a year, and I went to live and hang out with kind of closer to Johnny Johnny and right. um, uh, Eric to a degree out there. Um, but you know, living in Nashville, and my goal was to get into songwriting because man, I. I love songwriting. If you said, hey, you got the day off today, what would you do? I'd go write songs. That's what I would do. Um, and so I, I still like love to work on songwriting. And um, so that was my hope. But but what you understand in Nashville, and they say it's a 10-year town, is because it, that's about a, the amount of time it would take you to get anywhere. Yeah. 
And at that point, I was like, look, I You've already I don't put in really, 10. I've already, <laughs> already put, put in, in 10, 10 years. I don't want to put in another 10. I don't want to put in another 10 you know? years just to kind of get to to, to just, a different set. That's a exactly. whole different world. Like, yeah. Going from, I did this, now i got to, yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. But the talent... The talent in Nashville, the, the restaurant that I worked at, I mean, people who were waiting tables with me, just insane. All musicians. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And everybody's a songwriter. Everybody's a musician. And um, somebody asked me here about moving to Nashville one time because I had done it. I was like, you know, man, listen, you're going to, it's going to mean more to be who you are here yeah. than it would be there. Yeah. Like Nashville don't need you, man. <laughs> no, there's plenty of people there like you already, right? Like, yeah, yeah. do your thing here. Yeah, you know, uh, and I, I believe that because I believe it, it's. I think we can get great stuff going here. We got great stuff going here. Yeah, I mean, everyone always, man, and I've been guilty of this too. Everyone always says, "Well, this place sucks. Nothing's going on." It's because you're not helping create opportunities for anything to go on, right? It's not because this place. Yeah, this place may suck, but yeah. it sucks because no one's. They're running off to do something somewhere else when there is, there's always a space to do something. No matter where you're at in the United States and the world, if you get enough people together doing good shit, there's going to be opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, but sometimes people just can't seem to realize that, you know? No, I, I think you're 100% right. And I know that you're somebody who, is, who fights for that. Yeah, I try to, man. It's like, and these guys, we're, we're, we're here on the, you know, in the East Bank District. These guys, what they're doing down here, I mean, mm-hmm. just the same thing. They're bringing live music back, and every weekend we're having a huge entertainment venue back here, right? That's yeah. exciting. We're, yep. that, that wasn't even thought of a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even existent. Like, where the hell was there an outdoor venue where you could, you know, put on a show all day long if you want, or all night long with multiple acts with huge production? You know, it just wasn't, unless right. you went to a... The art, what one event center? That's it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or a uh, small venue in a casino that doesn't hold enough people, you know. Right. So right. I think we've been faced with that, you know, mm-hmm. with that challenge too. Um, cre- creatively wise, like people not wanting to put a lot of time into be you know local because there's just yeah. not the scenes not here, right? Yeah. It makes sense where it was 50 years ago. It was huge here. Yeah. And, 70 years ago. And it's it's changed a lot. I mean, even <coughs> even music has changed a lot. I mean, I, I was really, it's funny in high school, like I would ask people like, you know, what's your favorite kind of music? What kind of music do you like listen to? And, yeah. and you'd hear, you know, I like country and I like rap and you know, yeah. but, the, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, okay, you know, that's not really the things I'm into. I really, I love rock music and that kind of thing. And, but what's happened is that those to a degree, like those two markets have are really dominant. They were huge. And they cross over so much now. That's right. They used to not, right? It's like, because you thought about yeah. this, like I would listen to a little bit of country, a lot of rap. And I listened to it for, a, I went on a really like a good 10 years of just rock mm-hmm. and I loved it. And, yeah. but then it just faded away. Yeah. Like, it's just like the genre just disappeared. And then all you hear now is like the radio rock, which is like, like for instance, like I would listen to like corn slipknot and that's not even the hardest of hard, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, Crossfade, I would go into mm-hmm. like that, Incubus, stuff like what yeah. you guys were playing. And then I would go all the way over to like um, Avenged Sevenfold, like all mm-hmm. that stuff. I loved it. And then did, and then uh, what was the one? Five Finger Death Punch, stuff yeah. like that. And then they just, they slowly just started fading away from their sound, like yeah. to kind of appease that market. And then it just all kind of just disappeared. Yeah. Like I don't hear any rock coming out anymore. And if you yeah. do, it's this, it's like the same shit retold almost, it, repurposed. It doesn't feel the same. When those when those people were dropping albums, it felt 
like a new, it was like their sound, but it was a new version of their sound, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember Avenged Sevenfold, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like I love their stuff. Mm-hmm. And they would drop these, you know, I can't remember the name of the album, but it was the one with the huge busy artwork on the front of it. And they did the second album. Anyways, I would, like you said, I was in love with listening to the entire progression of the album, how the music evolved. And then I just kind of lost, they they got too big. I don't know what happened. It just kind of lost the artistic experience. And I, I sound like one of those music hippies right now, but, right, like, right. but I was infatuated with that sound. I really was. I, you know, look, I could go on a big tangent on this and I won't, <laughs> I won't because look, I, you know, as, yeah. a, as an observer and somebody who's, right. who's sort of in the biz, you know, one thing that's really happened, I think, um, that's understated in this whole process about how, you know, when you talk about rap or, or possibly pop and you talk about country and their market dominance, yeah, I think that there's a political element to it. I'm sure they're all, I feel like there's a political element to anything that has that much stay power. Well, but, but to go a little bit deeper on that. So, you know, rock used to be sort of in the sixties and seventies considered very progressive. Yeah. Like very sort of left leaning. Yeah. And what's happened today is that because we're so politicized with everything that happens, music and a lot of art has become kind of a a stand-in or an avatar for certain political tribes. Yeah, makes sense. So you've got the countryside, which is market dominant, which, you know, we would understand to lean right. Right. And you've got sort of the the pop rap element, which we would understand to lean left. There's certainly crossover. And that's that's just a big blanket that I'm throwing over. Right. But I don't think that, like... When you when we were out on tour, the rock bands that were out there, you know, they were very much like we support the police, we support the first responders. Like, yeah, it was it was very it was almost like the rock bands had gone conservative to a degree. Yeah, it is funny because yeah, I mean it makes sense. Like I feel like they're in a middle lane. I think they always have been right because it's like right, it's like Rage Against the Machine, like sure. fight the man, fight the power. You know, sure. hell no. But at the same time you know, riding that middle, middle lane. And yeah. I think most rock was that. I feel like, because there's, there's, I just don't see one that leans too far right or too, too far left, you know, not in that element, you know, in my well, opinion. Well, you would, you would hope that, that what rock, you know, would come to come to represent would be kind of a, a feeling of independence, right? Yeah. Like we, exactly. We, that's, that's what you feel. You know, we're yeah. not beholden to anybody. Exactly. So that's, that's, I guess where I'm saying in the lane yeah. middle, like they're not really picking sides. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because it is more of a, this is us. This is our sound. This is who we are. Yeah. Either get with it or fuck you. Right. <laughs> right. That's that's rock. Yeah. Yeah. That's like rock. you're you're not supposed to be owned. You're no, not supposed to rock. be controlled. Yeah. You know, whether, whether uh, it's punk rock or hard rock, that's rock. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you know, to maybe maybe because of the kind of the narratives through media don't allow or won't amplify. Won't support that. Yeah. Right. You know won't what I mean. Support that. I mean, yeah. it makes sense, but I I feel like it was diminishing before all the separation started happening here recently. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't know what happened. I don't know if, you know, people got a new feel of something, but it seems to be just like fashions and styles. Mm-hmm. Like sound is starting to be repurposed. Yeah. It always has. Right. Yeah. But it's starting to be re, re, re um, distributed as, you know, a different, whether it be a different form or different, mm-hmm. you know, what, different outlet or whatever. But like, uh, for instance, I really like. Um, this is not even rock. This is country. But I, I don't listen to country anymore. But I grew up listening to a lot of old country with mm-hmm. my my parents and my grandparents, and I enjoyed listening to it. Of course. And I enjoyed like the, the the George Jones and the Conway Twitty, you know, and all that stuff, and the Loretta Lynn. I enjoyed listening to that. Yeah. I don't really listen to it anymore. But then this fella comes comes along called uh, his name's Charlie Crockett. 
Um, and he's very interesting because he's putting that sound back into motion, and he's also dressing like they used to. It's like, holy shit, this dude is like, he's bringing it back, you know? Yeah. So I, my hopes that all that to be being said, my hopes are that it happens for Rock soon. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think what, what I'm seeing a lot of now is I do see a lot of kids engaging in what we would call guitar-based music, I guess is the way to put it. And I, yeah. I'm seeing them younger now, but Man. I see a lot of... I see a lot of girls doing it. I, what's crazy is, oh yeah, and the girl rock band, that thing was, yeah. that was hot for a while too. You know, you're like Evanescence and uh, who's in this moment. I always love them too, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. You ever listen to uh, Maria Brink, dude, check them out in this okay. moment. Um, yeah. I remember we've never really had up until probably when you guys, after you guys, you know, quit pretty much playing around here, like there was a rock scene up until, you know, to the early mid 2000s and it kind of faded here yeah but i remember being hardcore in rock and it was probably between 07 and 2012 and i remember i heard they were playing and i guess they just stopped along the way to play at margaritaville at the time yeah it was margaritaville yeah they stopped along the way to play that venue and i got there and there wasn't that many people there which is amazing because you got to see this hard rock band that's lead singer uh, a woman you know they're fucking getting down dude yeah, yeah. so i was so excited to be able to see something like that here locally because you never got to mm-hmm. but that that's something yeah but i think the talent of these kids dude it's amazing like just well i mean it's the access to information right you're able mm-hmm. to access things teach yourself like you learn how to play guitar guitar you were self-taught i mean i'm sure you were like me i was looking up you, I don't even know you were earlier on than me, but I was looking up tabs, trying to yeah. buy tab books yeah, and then learning yeah. how to play. You know, that, <laughs> yes. well, that's the old school shit, that's man. Right. Like these kids that's now, right. like just YouTube and like, here, place your finger here. Here's the yeah. chord. You know what I mean? Like, no, dude. Yeah. I remember buying the what was it, what was the brand with the the chord chart? Was it First Act from Walmart? Like uh, everybody had the chord. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Everyone had the mean. chord chart that yeah. they put on their wall and it showed you yeah, all yeah, the chords, yeah. dude. Yeah. I had one. How to play them? Yeah, yeah. and I yeah. had one, man. And then we'd look up tabs and, <laughs> and we'd learn how to play songs. And um, I never was really great at guitar. I like to sing a little bit, but like, um, yeah, no one understands that struggle. <laughs> you know, it was, a little, it was just a little harder. Now the access, inf- not saying I'm, these kids are not talented because they are extremely talented, but the access information to like, and, you know, all these styles and these kids like, just shredding on these guitars. I'm like, dude, this is crazy. Yeah. I can't, I could never play like that. Cause I, one, I never put the time into it, but two, like just, man, it's crazy. Well, and, and, and you, you do see that a lot of, um, a lot of music and music genre now, because of the way streaming operates, people can just pick from it like a buffet. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm, you know, when you were growing up or I was growing up, it was kind of like part of your identity, you know, where you were like, really I'm, I'm like this guy who likes this kind of music. And that's kind of like really, kind of who well, I am. You know, and here's another thing. I brought up this a long time ago on a podcast. I haven't even thought about it lately. But you remember when you were self-conscious about letting certain people listen to what you listened to because mm-hmm. it did? I, it was part of your identity. Yep, that's right. What you just said literally made it quick because, like, I, I went on this tangent one day or talk about uh, about talking like if you really want to share who you are, share your playlist with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Share your entire playlist, like your whole mm-hmm. Spotify account. Let them see mm-hmm. everything that, that that makes you who you are by listening to. Yeah. And yeah, so, so much as it's probably not as much of an identifier now as it used to be because you can pick, right. you know, you can cherry pick from everything. Right. I mean, you have these kids that you'll see them as like they're wearing Nirvana shirts or Jimi Hendrix shirts or Led Zeppelin or yeah. whatever. And then, you know, they're also listening to like uh, Childish Gambino or, yeah. or you know, right. it's just, it's just, they can just go 
across so much music and so quickly right because you don't have to commit to the album purchase yeah you know because like you buy an album it's like oh man i, I invested money in this thing man yeah 20 bucks i'm going bro. to make this bucks. work <laughs> yeah dude i remember when three yeah. doors down came out and i bought their cd this is way early on way early on and i got into i took a different path on listening to music and rock but when their album came out i played it so many times that I remember going to my mom or my grandmother or someone, I was like, I think we need to take this CD back because I think it's messed up. Because it's, <laughs> not that it was scratched, but I thought it, yeah. I thought the song was playing slower than it was when I initially started. Because I'd listened to it so many yeah. times. Like, yeah. this shit's crazy. But we did. We took the CD back. <laughs> I just mentally was convinced, I guess, that I listened to it so many times that, that I messed it up somehow. You know, I wish that that, that, that band could hear that story. I know, to right? Know that you loved him so much that you literally ruined the CD. I, it was that Kryptonite album, uh, too. Like, God, it's so horrible. I don't even listen to yeah. it now. But, you know, like the, that uh-huh. song that everyone knew. Yeah. But when it came out, I was probably, man, 10 or 11 or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. so what now, man? So what, what are the plans now, dude? So are... What are y'all doing? Are y'all are y'all still playing? You you got plans? What's the deal? Well, so we um, ten years after we that record came out, which was called "Only Rock and Roll Can Save Us Now," um, we put it out through Immortal, and then we we uh, you know the band kind of shut down. And so ten years after that record came out, we played a show here in town. It was great, man. People came out. Um, we had a had a great time, and uh, so we started you know to kind of kick around you know doing something else doing another record more recordings that kind of thing and we'd done a few of them um so when the pandemic hit we had booked some time back with that producer we were like hey man we're gonna come and record some songs he's like this is awesome bring it on you know because that was a it was a special time for him too um, now he, I think the guy sold like a hundred million records, so he's done some right. crazy stuff. But um, he's the he he just done Wolfgang. He's working on Wolfgang's record now, Van Halen. So he, that's nice. one of his things he's working on. But anyways, so we went in, we recorded four songs, and then a year and a half or so later, we went back and recorded four more. And now on January first of twenty twenty three, we are going to put that out. So as a as another record. Um, and dude, I, it was so. We, you, you hear from the story, but it was so much fun to get to be together, um, to get to work in that context, you know, with Elvis, the producer, who we love. I mean, dearly love this guy, and um, to get to go back into that world for a minute. And I was thinking about it today, and I was like, I wanted to speak the language again. It really is. We have a like a, a shared language mm-hmm. of jokes, of memories, of because think about that time on the road and how crazy that was. Yeah, and how connected uh, you become because you're one unit, man. Yes, one I mean, of you's out of place. It's not going to be the same. That's right. That's right. So we so to get to go back into that world, spend a little time, create, work on music together the way that we used to, and we used to. I mean, we used to work so hard at it. So to get to do that, um, and again, to just put the record out, it's like, I don't care anything about like what happens with the record because the, in, in my mind it's like, we're already successful because we got to do it again. Yeah. You know, we got at this stage in our lives, there's so many kids, there's wives, there's all this stuff, all these responsibilities, jobs, but to get to just be in that world again was, oh, it was a blast, man. 
is a blast. So we're gonna we're gonna get a new record called Cave Paintings, um, and it'll be out January first, twenty twenty three. Awesome. Maybe we'll play a show. We'll see. Oh, come on now. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Now. <laughs> I, I, we're working on it. We're working on it. Heck yeah. But um, yeah, so that's it, man. We, we're we're really excited, really thrilled um, to have some more music out there because too, we also felt like you know um, we had more to say. Yeah. You know, we just didn't get the chance to say you know everything that we wanted to say. Well, you know what I've noticed talking to you, and I, man, I've met a lot of people throughout the years of of course being in the rock industry, like as far as like. People I know that had bands or in bands and being out listening all the time. I definitely wasn't in a band or anything, but like consuming it and being around it. You're not, um, you're very humble. Like, because <laughs> most people are like, if they they got to that, got to that door and are knocking on it, but they never were able to get through, they're always so bitter. Like, yeah. come, we didn't make it because of this and because of that and because of this. Yeah. But you just, I mean, walking me through all that, you're like, I think we made the right decision. You know, they made the right decision. It's not like you're mad at the label or the people. They gave you an opportunity. You appreciated it for keeping you yeah. on and letting you tour those people. And you're not bad-mouthing them because they yeah. didn't sign you. Right. They didn't see that, how great you were. You know, you. but in talking to most people, that's how they, that's what you get back. You're like, yeah. fuck them. They didn't sign me. I did everything for them. And I went on that tour and didn't make no money. You know, like, yeah. it's yeah. just, uh, I, I like your attitude about it. You know, no matter what you guys do moving forward, um, you're still putting stuff out there and you know, you have a good, you know, mentality over it. I feel like really, I, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I'm just, just being honest, man. I feel like yeah. anyone else listens to this whole thing. They're going to pick up on that too. But I, yeah. I really sincerely feel that, you know, mm-hmm. part of it comes down to, uh, number one, being from such a small place. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's part of it. Um, nothing was owed to us. You know, um, we tried to make it happen. We worked really hard at it. There's also an element for me, too, about, you know, just kind of personally, spiritually, like, you know, with what I do with the work at the store, Ivy's, um, I, I feel I take a lot of um, I feel like that's that's kind of my mission. That's like what I'm, I I feel like I'm really connected with my mission like spiritually. Um, I think that I'm that that I'm doing the right thing. Um, and I feel like that maybe even though I loved that, I mean, maybe too much, you know, that, that musical world, I loved it. And I, you know, there's a chance that I may not have been the same person today. There's a chance that if I would have stayed with that, I, I might not be, I might not have the same wife. I may not have the same daughter. Those chances are pretty high, right? Yeah. So the idea that my life has worked out the way it has, I'm, I'm really grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful that I, I do have a job that gives me purpose, that I feel like I can do good work. Um, and again, not knowing who that person would have been coming out of that. Because, you know, as we didn't really get into, but there's there's high highs and there's really low lows. Yeah. And you get into some very self-destructive behavior. Um, I was involved in quite a bit, you know. And so there's no guarantee that at the end of that, I think maybe God is got me to this place and maybe took that for good reason. If yeah. That makes sense. So I try to live with that framework. Now, not to say that I don't have regrets about, could I have done this better? Right. Of course we all have those, right? You think you know, about, I should have done this this way. So that way would have put us in a different position, you know, but, yeah. but overall you're not bitter about it. Doesn't seem. You no, know I mean? no, no, no. And, and if, if there's any kind of bitterness, it's about not being able to, to, 
create like that as much as um, I'd like to. Right. You know, but um, you know, that's just part of it. That's uh, that's part of life. But man, I I am, dude. I'm I'm so grateful for for the the life I have and the family that's around me and our business and uh, dude, working with you and. Um, the Heart Hardware Festival that we're going to try to put yeah, on, yeah, man, yeah, uh, we got number that coming two, up in May, yeah, number two this year. So that that kind of stuff, I think, is worth. Uh, it's so valuable and it means so much to me that, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, everybody would love to do that, but I don't know that fame is really good for most people. No one should have that much attention on them at any given time, right. ever. It's right. there's no way you're going to come out of it normal. I don't, I don't care who so. you are. Like we I had this conversation. So. I had this conversation with someone else previously on the show. I mean, I don't even know which one it was, but just we're not meant to have that many people around us, right? You know, that's why we have different cultures all over the world because yeah. as they're separated, they're different. Yeah, you know, and that's what's so unique about them. And then when you put that one thing in front of every single one, you're going to get negative. You're going to get positive. You're going to get overwhelming. Like, we're just yeah. not meant no. for that. You know, I just don't think so as a species. We're meant for that. Oh, you know? no way, man. And um, it's just I don't think it's over. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's an amazing experience, but I don't think long term, it's. You just can't be good for you mentally, right? I don't. I don't think so. I think you lose touch with the reality. Yeah, of course. You know, like because when you when you have what they call f you money, and, and yeah. literally no one can tell you no. Yeah, that's not how normal people live. No, <laughs> no. It's like, and then you're just chasing that experience. I guess the whole time we're trying to keep it at least level. Like, can you imagine, right. like, trying to keep right. your day day to day from being mundane by by just mm-hmm. filling up? You know, uh, it just it seems like a lot. No, no way, man. So, um, yeah, but I appreciate you because that's that's really. I, I really do. Yeah, man. Well, well, look, dude, I've had a good time today. I didn't know any of this about you, so I'm excited, and I'm glad we linked up and, and talked about this stuff. And um, so, Tyler Reed new album yeah. drops January one, twenty twenty three, and 2023. we should have this show out by then. If not, we'll be we'll be bumping the door on it. But either way, right. um, man, I had a great time today. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, DJ. Great, right. man. All right, man.